In the publication of Our Daily Bread, I read it in an article that during World War II, Adolf Hitler commanded all of the religious groups to unite. And you can probably guess why. He wanted to control them. But among all these brethren assemblies, half complied to his order and half refused. And those who went along with this order had a much easier time, a, a much more pleasant time. However, those that did not faced harsh persecutions. And in almost every family of those who resisted, someone in, in each family died in a concentration camp. So I'm sure that there were hard feelings whenever the uh, war was over. The feelings of bitterness ran deep in, in all the groups. And finally, when, when the war was over, they finally decided that, that the situation had to be healed. Peace ha had to once again reign. So leaders from each group met for a quiet retreat. And for several days, each person spent so much time in prayer. They spent so much time in prayer and they examined their own hearts in the light of Christ's commands. So, when they all came together, it was Francis Schaeffer who, who, who was asked by someone who wasn't there. He, he said, so what happened? What, what, what did you all do then? It was Francis Schaeffer who replied, we were just one. You see, as they confessed their hostility, and their bitterness to God and, and to each other and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love began to once again fill their hearts and dissolved their hatred and anger. You see, when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreements, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of what a true follower of Christ is because it signifies true unity. We as Christians are called to be unified. And, and in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is quite clear about how Christians are to be unified, and he even gives us examples of how we are unified. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and get it out. Ephesians 4. 1 through 6. Chapter 4 begins with, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This morning, we are going to look over our text as well as others. And we are going to discover what true unity means for us as individual believers, but also as a church as well. 
what we as the Columbia Christian Church can take from this. And we're going to find three ways that must be a reflection of our unity in Christ. The first way this morning of how our unity in Christ must look is that our unity in Christ must be a reflection of our gratitude. A reflection of our gratitude. Ephesians, once again, chapter 4, verse 1, again says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is so focused on teaching the people in the church of Ephesus about blessings, about thanksgiving, about grace. And he explains these once again in such a great detail. And through our studies today, we learn that Paul is charging us at the same time to live in a manner that reflects what God has done for us. Our very lifestyles to to reflect what God has done for us. And by living this way, we should demonstrate what we understand how much God has truly done for us. Because God has done a lot for us, hasn't he? And, we, and when we begin to grasp this very concept, it is then that we will naturally want to serve and obey God out of gratitude. A sincere gratitude. And when we live a life of gratitude, we'll tend to notice that it becomes less about me and more about we. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God loves us. We not only see it in Scripture, but I'm sure we've seen it in our daily lives as well. And shouldn't that motivate us to to, uh, to love God and, and a desire to serve God out of gratitude and not out of a, uh, of a desire to earn God's love. Thankfully, we are not able to earn God's love because God's love was freely given to us through Jesus. And therefore, our walk should be encouraging to others. Other people should see our gratitude. It should be an encouragement to others rather than a discouragement. It should should be a genuine desire to please God and to share him with others. A reflection of our gratitude. Remember the ten lepers in, in Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17 verses 12 and 13 says, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You see, in Jesus' day, people suffering from leprosy were outcasts. They were pushed away. They were outcasts. There was no cure for this dreaded disease back then, which gradually left a person disfigured. If one contracted leprosy, Truth be told, it, it was a death sentence. You see, people with leprosy were forced to leave their families and live with other lepers on the outskirts of the town or on the outskirts of the city where they lived. 
And they were forced each and every day to desperately search for food. And the ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, obeying the law that forbid them to have contact with others. And Luke 17, verse 14 goes on to say, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They asked for mercy. And what did Jesus say to them? And what did they do? And we do not know how many of them, uh, uh, these men were foreigners. But this is very significant. It is significant because that only one of them returned to thank Jesus. And, and, and he was not a Jew. He was a foreigner because Jesus commented in verse 18, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, this is significant, and, and Jesus did not immediately heal the lepers, but he tested their faith by asking them to go and see the priests. And they were healed on their way there. However, it is the one who returned who showed the most faith and gratitude towards Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Hebrews thirteen fifteen, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of lips that, that acknowledge his name. Do our lives imitate the gratitude for, for what Jesus has done for us? Because this is why it, it was so significant that a foreigner, a, a non-Jew, returned to thank Jesus. Because, we're, because we were all once foreigners to God. We were all separated from God because of our sins. We were all once outcasts. So each day, are we offering up a sacrifice of praise? Are we living a life of gratitude? Because our unity in Christ must be a reflection of our gratitude. The second way this morning of how our unity in Christ must look is that our unity in Christ must be a reflection of our very character. It must be who we are. Once again, in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, our unity in Christ, accompanied by our, our character and, and our spiritual everyday walk with God, appears to be marked by that of, of lowliness. Not a pushy desire to advance our own agenda or, or to push for what others might want to call progress. The word lowliness doesn't sound like a very exciting word, does it? You see, lowliness is another word for humility. It means being humble or unimportant. And it sounds like this word... Um, might have a bad association in today's fast-paced, be-the-best-or-go-home philosophy. Doesn't sound like what we hear on a, on a daily basis, does it? It might not sound at all attractive for some. However, it is a virtue that all Christians must share. A gentle, patient nature. 
And, and it is that our very gentle and patient character that will reflect our unity in Christ. The way we treat others. The way we act around others. And we need to be satisfied and content with, with, with what God is doing with us. And doing for us in our relationship with him. And what his plan for us is. He's got a great plan. And he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And we need to understand that. And, and this usually includes have, having the patience with others. That's hard to do, isn't it? Is this, isn't it sometimes hard to have patience with others? Maybe a coworker, a boss, a family member. It also means having grace and patience with, with ourselves as well. And one thing I'm thankful for this morning, I'm so glad that God is patient. But having this humble, forgiving attitude towards each other will also naturally fulfill the gift of the unity of the Spirit. And we are instructed to also keep this unity. And we do need to understand that God did not command us to create the unity. And let me explain this further. He did not instruct us to create this unity. But we do need to understand that God never commanded it, but he has already done this through Christ. He's already created that unity. Jesus created the unity by what he done for us. And it is our duty as Christians, as the Columbia Christian Church, to not only recognize that unity ourselves, but also to keep it. To promote that unity. To be a reflection of that unity. Charles Spurgeon once said, We are confident that this unity is found in Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We want unity in the truth of God through the Spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ. For this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love to the Savior. There was an issue of National uh, uh, Geographic magazine one time, and it showed a uh, photograph of, of a fossil of, of two saber-toothed tigers. Remember le learning about those in school? Seeing pictures of them, and they, and, and they were really big cats with really big teeth in front. But this photograph, it depicted the fossil remains of these two really big saber-toothed cats who had died locked in combat. To quote the article, it said, one had bitten deep into the leg bone of the other, a thrust that then trapped both in a common fate. So in other words, they, they were fighting and they both died locked together. And the cause of the death death of these two big cats it is as clear as the causes of the extinction in their species. Likewise, when, when Christians fight each other, everybody loses. When, when we argue, everybody loses. The Apostle Paul again says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Do we practice patience 
gentleness, forgiveness towards those around us, to those that we encounter with, with each other. Because our unity in Christ must be a reflection of our very character. A character of gentleness, lowliness. The third and final way this morning of how our unity in Christ must look is that our unity in Christ must be a reflection of our church. It must reflect our church. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one body and one spirit, as Paul wrote, because that is what we all share in common. And the early church had lots of things in common. As a matter of fact, they give us an excellent example of church unity. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Y'all catch that? They devoted themselves. Their life was devoted to this. And they were devoted to this because they shared a common goal. Didn't Jesus give them a charge just before he ascended into heaven? Didn't he tell them to go and make disciples? And that same charge still stands true because as we sit here this morning, we are a continuance of that very charge. We have the same mission. Jesus is the very source of our unity. It all points to Jesus. It is, the only, it is only through Jesus that we as a church share one body, one spirit, one hope of our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one father. Each of these common areas is a greater than any potential difference that we ourselves could ever possess personally. We're all connected through Jesus. We all should have a common goal through Christ. As far as one baptism goes, there is not a separate baptism for Jew and Gentile. We are baptized into Christ. Could there be no other greater unity to be baptized into Christ? And it is because of that one baptism that we are no longer the same. It is because of that one baptism that we are a new person. We are a new creation. We are a different person. We're a better person. But because of that one baptism, we are forgiven. And we are no longer an outcast. We are no longer a foreigner. Because of the price that Jesus paid for us. It is because we are saved that should make us want to see others saved as well. Living a life of gratitude. Our very character should, should promote this as well. And isn't that our mission here at the Columbia Christian Church? I mean, it's posted in several locations. It's on our, it's on our stationery. 
It's on our church building. It's on our webpage. It reads, Christ, our message, souls, our mission. Is Christ our message when people see us out in public? Do we have a desire to, uh, to see others saved as well? Do we have a desire, a longing desire to, uh, to see others call Jesus Lord as well? I love the thought and concept of unity. As I've grown older, there are certain things that I've grown to appreciate so much more. One of those is watching a sunrise. I watch a good sunrise and no matter what kind of a mood I'm in, I'm immediately in a good mood seeing the sunrise. Seeing a good sunset as well. Two very beautiful sights that I've really come to appreciate. But there's another sight as well that I look at it differently, and that's watching the falling snow. Now, bear with me now. I know winter is supposed to be over, and I know that many of us here are very excited about the warm weather. But, but let's just think about this just for a second. I find snowfall relaxing and calming, and, you know, it's kind of interesting what we can learn from unity by watching the snow. You see, because snowflakes are one of nature's most delicate things. Have you noticed that? A, snow, a snowflake is so delicate. You reach out and able to grab one, and it's gone. However, but look what they can do. Look what snowflakes can do when they stick together. And the beauty that God creates through it. And it's encouraging to see what God does through us when we are unified as well. And our focus is on him. I really appreciate Ben and Kelly Fulcher and, and their son Luke being, being here today. And I really appreciate their friendship. I appreciate what they do for White Mills Christian Camp and all the hard work that I, that I have seen with my own eyes. And also appreciate what Eric McComb and his wife uh, Miranda do for, for the camp. All the tireless hours and, and all the late nights during each week of camp. There's times I've been up late, whether helping a camper or, uh, or having conversations, and, and um, Eric, Ben, or both are right there. Sometimes Kelly has been there too because they love the camp, because they love what the camp does. They love why it's there. I think I can speak for them. I think they love the families and the churches that, that, that support it. But I find it interesting that the camp's mission statement on the logo reads, where God and youth are partners. I like that and always have. This week I reached out to both Ben and Eric and asked them both, I said, what does the camp's mission mean to you? I loved their responses. Loved their responses. Eric responded, The camp is the work of the Christian churches to provide people a place to connect with each other, grow in their relationship with God, and find their calling in ministry. In other words, to provide a meeting place, help connect people, 
support spiritual growth, and to nurture kingdom workers. I loved Ben's response as well. He replied, it means a lot to me, and you can tell that it does. My whole life has been about impacting young people with the gospel. In my opinion, camp is more impactful and more effective than any other youth program. I also love that it provides a way for for our independent churches to work together. Work together. To provide that meeting place. To provide opportunities to not only grow closer to Christ, but also to encourage the kingdom work that is to head. Sounds like a fulfillment of of Jesus' charge in the Great Commission to me. Great answers from both. Our unity in Christ must be a reflection of our very gratitude and must be a, a reflection of our character. And it must be a reflection of our church. What better way of building on the foundations of gratitude and character than our children going to camp? Spending some time at camp. Working with other adults who have worked so hard planning that week of camp. Meeting other kids who are the same exact age that they are. Going through the same issues that they go through. Going through the same temptations that they are going through. Where they learn to work together to grow closer to Christ together. What excellent opportunities have presented themselves for adults and children to work together. For each session that I've deemed and participated at Camp White Mills, at White Mills Christian Camp, I've always come back a different person. Because it's good for adults too. What an excellent opportunity to work together to forge those relationships and to effectively minister together. And to help prepare our kids for, uh, for not only what is to come, but, uh, but for their kingdom work that's ahead. So in closing, I'm going to send out, I'm going to send out a challenge. What better excuse can we come up with to not send them? What better excuse can we conjure up of not sending them? Because there isn't one. Because we support an, an excellent camp with, love, with, with very loving people and very loving churches who support it. That sounds, a, that sounds like a reflection of church unity to me. We're going to spend a couple moments in, in a quiet meditation. Maybe there's something that we need to confess before God. Maybe... Maybe we're not living a life of gratitude, and maybe we need to ask God for forgiveness right now. Maybe our character is not where it should be. Maybe there's someone that we need, that we need to forgive. Maybe there's some things missing in our lives. Maybe someone is missing in our lives. Now would be a good time to take it before the Savior. Let's spend a few moments.